Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of December 17th, 2018. On today's show, what's up with Be Our Guest at the Magic Kingdom? Plus listener questions, news about Galaxy's Edge admissions, and Jim has some information on Epcot cruises and Animal Kingdom tours while construction is happening around Walt Disney World. A quick note, if you're listening to this on iTunes, you may want to check out the exclusive other shows Jim and I do over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Jim and I have done uh, hours of shows on everything from Disney attraction history to things that never got built, and it only appears at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Check it out today and have something to distract you from the upcoming holiday Michigas for days on end. And speaking of that, let's bring our own Minch of Michigas one Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? I'm sorry. I was being distracted by the holiday. What were you saying, Len? What? <laughs> All right, Jim, let's start off with a quick listener question from our friend, Will. He says, hi, Jim and Len. I've been getting excited about the tidbits that have been trickling out about the two rides at Galaxy's Edge, but I'm worried about my family's ability to experience these attractions. My dad and sister have medical conditions that make it difficult for them to do anything that would require two-handed coordination, like aiming and shooting on Toy Story Midway Mania. It's fine on rides like Mission Space, but it would be more of an issue on the Millennium Falcon where we could potentially crash the damn thing after waiting hours in line. Do you all have any insight on how Imagineering is prepping these rides for those who might require additional accommodations? So Jim, I know that um, Disney released a new update on the Millennium Falcon last week with details that said, for example, a four and a half minute ride duration and about uh, an 1800 person per hour throughput. That indicates to me Mm -hmm. that Disney has already put in guardrails around the ride experience so that you can't crash after 30 seconds. Is that is that your take on it too? Yeah. In fact, to sort of reassure our listener here that contingencies have been made. As I understand it, there is a, a scenario on this attraction whereby if all six people who are in the cockpit at the Millennium Falcon it, at any one time sit on their hands... Mm -hmm. There's a, a scenario that kicks in where literally the Money and Falcon gets grabbed by a tractor beam. And you're in a weird sort of way, this this kind of goes back to the Rip Ride Rocket that had this whole list of hidden musical choices. You know, if you knew yeah. what to do. <laughs> the, the up, up, down, down, left, left, right, right, A, A, B, B. There we go. Uh, yeah. That's okay. the thing with Money and Falcon. If you do nothing, there is a scenario that kicks in that the Imaginators are particularly proud of. So no matter what you do, if you're on board with a bunch of people who can't help but hit the buttons, there's you know, a scenario that kicks in there. Mm -hmm. If the people have done their homework, there's a scenario there. I mean, especially during the playtesting period of this thing, they've done everything they can to anticipate people after having spent that much time in that line want a great ride experience, that's great. what they're going to try to deliver. Even for those of us who can't get the DVR at our own house to work. <laughs> Jim says not ironically. All right, and, uh, Jim, you, you mentioned the uh, the ride experience. So I, I talked to um, to Guy Selga, who works for me and is our mm -hmm. Disneyland guy. Prior to coming to Touring Plans, Guy mm -hmm. was a video game quality assurance tester. Mm -hmm. So I asked Guy, like, we're maybe seven or eight months away from the opening of Galaxy's Edge in Disneyland. Where should they be in terms of video game de development? And should or should we be worried that they're still trying to figure out gameplay thing? And what Guy said is, it sounds like they're exactly on time for what they need to do. He said the bulk of video game development is in getting the assets, the characters, the scenery, the texture mapping and things like that, getting all of that organized. The gameplay doesn't actually come together until a few months before 
the release of the software. And that's when you can really start exploring how everything works together, how the the AI works, the the game mechanics, and so on. So Guy said, absolutely no concern about Disney to be testing the gameplay. At this point, he said, if you know, it sounds like they're they're perfectly on schedule. So that's good to know, right? Absolutely. In talking with folks who are working on the project, to be honest, the thing they're most concerned about right now is they would love to get some loading and loadout time. Right. If they're more concerned about the whole lazy Susan aspect of this attraction. When you're having that four minute long experience that they have, it's a six minute long cycle. Right. Four and a half minutes of actual gameplay, 45 seconds on another end to get in and get out. And they want desperately to get some cast members into this thing and just practice loading them in, loading them out. Right. That's got to be a lesson that they learned directly from Pandora because you and I have spoken to cast members who work on Flight of Passage all the time. And the the number one thing that they say that their job entails is getting people in and out of the ride vehicles. By far, it's their number one concern on an hour by hour, day by day by day basis. And that's because, remember, Flight of Passage has a rather unique ride system, right? It's sort of like that motorcycle-like thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also has the restraints that go around it so you don't fall off. And I'm sure that when Disney looks at the Millennium Falcon, again, completely new technology, completely new ride vehicle, completely new seating experience, they're looking at exactly the same thing. They're, they've learned their lesson from Pandora, and they're trying to say, how are we going uh, to get this done quickly? The fact that people are finally going to get to sit in the Millennium Falcon, I, the, their fear is that... So <laughs> I, know people, where, I know where you're going with this. Go ahead. Go ahead. The door shift, if I don't have a photo, it didn't happen. Exactly. And, I need three minutes for the right selfie. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, 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 sit down. You know, there are 1,800 other people we need to get into in this hour. And yeah, yeah. it's just trying to figure out the polite way of <laughs> sit the hell down, put on the seatbelt, and let us bring Stra- the next Strap in. in, exactly. A couple of other things I've heard about uh, Galaxy's Edge over the last week. You and I talked about a while ago, months ago, about the various mm-hmm. ways that Disney may, might control the crowds who want to get into to Galaxy's Edge. And I had, uh, was interviewed for an article that got published last week where I was talking about the length of time that people might have to wait, you know, in many cases, many hours just to get into Galaxy's Edge. And based off of that, we got a, a cryptic anonymous email that said, look for the words Batu Travel Agency. And in in doing some asking around about this, apparently one of the things that Disney is investigating is the idea that, yes, you can wait for the six hours it takes to get into Galaxy's Edge if if the land is full of capacity. Or you can book a travel package with the Batu Travel Agency and get guaranteed admission into the land, possibly with uh, some rides for a certain amount of money. What are you hearing about this? It's essentially paid fast pass and admission into Galaxy's Edge, right? That's paid guaranteed admission. Yeah. And as it's been explained to me, there is both a real hunger to try out this idea, yeah. especially in the California market with so many annual pass holders. Right. That's the genuine fear that so many annual pass holders trying to experience this during the summer of 2019. And Disney has the, the Vegas equivalent of Wales. They have these customers who are willing to pay truly top dollar to be among the first to experience things. I, Jim, I'm not even going to tell you the amount of money that I told Disney that I would pay to be among the first to experience Galaxy's Edge. It would it would offend everyone that's listening to the show. Uh, <laughs> it, would, okay. it would offend my own family. I'm not even telling them. At my end, it's like, I have this jar of pennies. I will give you several of them. <laughs> I think we're 99% sure that there's no way that they're going to do AP previews for everyone. 
in Galaxy's no. Edge, to your point, no. because no. there are so many annual pass holders in Disneyland. What I've heard is it's going definitely going to be a lottery system, um, mm-hmm. but then the lottery itself is only going to be open up to the premier pass holders and the very top tier of, uh, of Disneyland annual pass holders. Like even people with blackout dates, they're just saying, you know, shalom and good luck. Mm-hmm. If they launch this with Galaxy's Edge, the narrative then becomes... Disney price gouge versus yeah. oh my god look this at this amazing 14 acre area that that establishes the new high standard for theming and, and guest interaction and that sort of thing right you only have one chance to make a first impression and oh yeah and Disney's walking a tightrope here they know that this is the most anticipated theme park land opening that they're going to have five years either way mm-hmm. ten maybe ten years either way right. And they've got to make as much money as they can on it because they're a publicly traded company and that's their goal. But on the other hand, you don't want to leave such a bitter taste in everybody's mouth that you ruin all the goodwill that you've built up over the years. By the way, this is all a rumor. We don't think this we, we, this is definitely not happening, um, but it's being talked about, right? And, the, and these yeah, are the, it is. this is the it discussion is. that Disney's having about mm-hmm. it, right? Okay. There is an argument in-house that's like, let it happen. Let the giant crowds happen. Let oh, yeah. the large lines happen. In Disneyland history, think about how Disneyland didn't open with ticket books. They had to fumble, you know, for six months or so before they created the ABCD ticket book mm-hmm. system. When people have dealt with a summer of long lines, and the people who experience it will comment and evangelize about how wonderful it is, but, you know, there will still be complaints about people getting, you know, having trouble getting access. And the when Disney creates a solution that does yeah. include the Batu travel agency and, and other alternatives, the whole lottery system for the premium annual pass holders, if they've seen a summer of chaos, they will embrace a, okay, we're putting a system in place to make this easier, I guess. It's just, right. that's an easier story to tell sure. than give us more money. Right. And it would also fit in nicely with a narrative that Disney's, Disney's been pushing lately about using prices to control demand or crowds mm-hmm. in their parks. They could say, we know that the crowds are going to be super high in July mm-hmm. in Disneyland. Therefore, you know, a one-day ticket to Disneyland is going to be, instead of $130, it'll be $180. But yeah. even then, $180 isn't going to be enough to keep out the very, very dedicated fans. First yeah. of all, they probably already have annual passes. But even then, I was trying to think of a number, mm-hmm. right, that would be high enough that the million or so Disneyland annual pass holders would not all converge upon Disneyland the first couple of days that Galaxy's Edge is open because the price was too high. And, you know, you would say, you know, again, admission is $130, you know, uh, give or take um, for Disneyland for one day. What if they charged $300 for that one day? Would 90% of the annual pass holders just say no, we'll go later on? I'm not entirely sure 90% would say no. No. And no. what they found is the one thing that keeps biting them in the butt is you're not asking somebody to pay, say, 2000 or $3,000 for their pass all at once. It's, no, it's the, the, cable it's the monthly plan. Yeah. <laughs> if you're breaking it up into 12-month-long chunks, yeah. there are people who would like, okay, it's a car payment, but I still get to go to my Disneyland. Yeah, so that's a, they've, they've got a couple of things to work out there. I want to bring up one more quick thing, Jim, about mm-hmm. Galaxy's Edge that we that we heard about in passing last week, um, mm-hmm. and then we'll we'll talk about the fact that I ate around all of Walt Disney World last week. But here's the thing: in the course of talking about this Batu Travel Agency with some sources, they mentioned that I was I was concerned about even if you get into the land, you know, the the way to ride the ride still could be three hours long. And what are you going to do for three hours? But what I heard described back to me then 
was that the number of interactive games that will be available in Galaxy's Edge are far more, rumored to be, far more than I anticipated. I thought there might be a couple of windows like Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom where you can go walk around, you know, play a sort of game. But from what I'm hearing, the Imagineers are going for something much, much more complicated there. So apparently you can you can go from station to station playing these games and earn like reputation points that follow you around the land. You've heard of this, right? It's not just that. I mean, for example, the outside of Black Spire Outpost, you have these mysterious ruins of a civilization that's been there previously, and you'll have the equivalent of cave paintings and runes and that sort of thing. And when one of the things that's supposedly being offered is that you'll be able to download an app that will allow you to translate the runes. And there's, as I understand it, multiple mysteries and treasures to be found if you can put the information from one set of runes together with a piece mm-hmm. of graffiti that's found inside of the city. And it gets different levels of storytelling. You always have to build a, a land or a theme park for the people who just like to lie on the beach, the who people who like to wade and the swim and you know, and eventually the divers and the mer people. Right. It's like, for example, if you go to Toy Story Land at Disney Hollywood Studios now. I mean, how many people, as they walk through the land, ever get to see Andy's footprint? But there are those people who come across it, and it's like, holy cow, this is Andy's footprint in the backyard. Picture that, but to the nth degree, with Galaxy's Edge. I mean, that you are going to be surrounded by storytelling, whether or not you actually decide to listen to that story kind of depends on how dedicated a fan you are. I didn't realize until I I talked to this person to the degree to which Disney was embedding story, not only story, but personalization, right? The reputation points idea. I didn't realize how much Disney was was embedding that into Galaxy's Edge. And my concern was, Mm -hmm. again, what what are you going to do for six hours in Galaxy's Edge while you're waiting for your ride? And, And the point that I had made was, Back when Diagon Alley opened in Universal mm. Studios, I, I did literally spend six hours in Diagon Alley, and I've never seen the Harry Potter movies, I've never read the books, but I was I was completely entertained mm-hmm. for six hours, going window to window uh, and playing you know playing with wands and, and looking at the spells. By the way, I do understand that Disney will have in Galaxy's Edge some sort of version of not a wand, but some sort of interactive thing that you can buy that helps with that. Have you seen that there are patents on this? Um, that have been recently filed on it. I'm not sure if it's a lightsaber, but I'm not saying it's not either. We've got Scott Trowbridge, you know, the the former Universal guy who, you know, was in on the very, 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 very early Potter stuff, who's now writing her on Star Wars. And Universal made a conscious decision, at least when it came to the, the wands, that that wasn't a year one thing. First of all, let's just get it open. A lot of the sensors, a lot of the stuff was in fact in place very early on, but it's just sort of like, let's, let's get it up on its feet and then let's introduce the interactive aspect. So, you know, yes, the patents are filed and yes, Disney eventually anticipates bringing a lot of this stuff online, but first and foremost, it's how do we get people into it and how do we persuade them to leave? Right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's not the problem that they want to solve on day one. Like how do we, how do we entertain people for six hours? It's like, how, how do we entertain them for two? Maybe two is a better number. <laughs> Have you ever heard the story about Barnum's museum in New York, the, this way to the egress? No. The thing with Barnum's museum is people would go and spend hours and it, it eventually Barnum realized I got to get people out. Cause I, you know, the fire marshal is giving me credit about <laughs> this. 
And eventually what he did is he painted a giant sign that said, this way to the egress. And people were like, oh, well, I'd like to see the egress. And they push open the it's door. A, it's and, like a large ostrich-like bird, right? Flightless. Well, actually, it turns out it's the exit. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. And by the time people were outside, it's like the, oh, I'm outside. Oh, oh. He got me again. Darn it. So it's going to be interesting to find out what in the Black Spire dialect means exit. It's like, oh, go here to the, the wonderful blah, blah, blah. All right, so we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on that, uh, Jim. I want to talk about one more thing, and then we'll uh, we'll go into our main topic. I've eaten at seven restaurants, Jim, in the last six days in Walt Disney World, and I have learned a lot. Would you like to hear about it? Absolutely. And twice your weight in Bromo, or can I just? <laughs> I think by Thursday I had lost my will to live, along with my appetite. But uh, so I, I I started off at Frontera Cucina in mm-hmm. Disney Springs, and the reason why I went to it is they have a uh, Oaxacan menu. So it's a a region in Mexico that Rick Bayless really, really likes. He's the head chef, obviously. And I wanted to try it out because ever since they introduced this menu at Frontier Cucina, the reader satisfaction ratings have gone up by about five points. So it's gone from about average to above average in our reader satisfaction ratings. And I I wanted to see what it was. So the the Oaxacan menu, I had three things. The starter was guacamole with uh, chili lime chapelines. Mm-hmm. Jim, do you know what chapelines are? They're not long leather pants, right? Nope, those are chaps. Um, they're oh. grasshoppers. Oh, okay. Yeah, so apparently grasshoppers are part of the cuisine in uh, Oaxaca, and the chefs at Frontier Cucina decided to to add them into uh, a really nice guacamole. So when it came out, I had my glasses off because, of course, I was looking at my phone while mm-hmm. I was uh, waiting for my food. Uh, and before I did anything, I wanted to see what the pure taste was Mm-hmm. of grasshoppers. So I took a fork, I grabbed maybe a teaspoonful of them and I and I ate the the grasshoppers. And let me and by the way, super tasty. Mm-hmm. Let me just see if I can describe the taste. Have you ever eaten Jim the seasoning from a Lipton cup of noodle packet just by itself? <laughs> I, I get I, I've <laughs> the been number hungry people as a student, but never no. quite at that moment. What it's the old oh, Joan so Rivers you were joke rich about. When you grew up, Jim. That's what you're saying. Y- y- y'all well, no, y'all no, were rich. It, okay, fair enough. No, 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 it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. It's it's great, just, it reminds me of the, the, the Joan Rivers joke that Elizabeth Taylor was the only woman who would stand in front of a microwave and yell, hurry. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, so I'm not saying that we were rich when we were growing up, but uh, there are definitely times where I was maybe impatient. Mm-hmm. And while I was looking at the Lipton cup of noodle soup, I uh, grabbed a pinch of the chicken uh, noodle seasoning and mm-hmm. ate it. Uh, but let me say, and I mean this in a good way, the, mm-hmm. uh, the grasshoppers are super, super tasty. They're apparently brined, I guess is the word, or, mm-hmm. or marinated in like a chili garlic lime Mm-hmm. And they are super, super delicious. In fact, you could not eat the grasshoppers directly. It's too much. Um, but you mix them in with the uh, the guacamole, and mm-hmm. it's a really nice sort of sharp, tangy texture or, or flavor to go along with the guacamole. And if you're not looking at it, you wouldn't even know it's, it's grasshopper. Mm-hmm. And I say that for this reason. <laughs> if you actually look at it, you, you, you don't want to eat it. So I, 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 I'm glasses. sorry. I, I don't think I've been to that part of, of the grocery store before, you yeah. know, where they have the display of that. I can't believe it's grasshopper. I can't believe it's grasshopper. Exactly. And so I made the mistake of putting my glasses on and looking at the grasshoppers. And mm. again, I, I ate it. It was tasty. I recommend everyone listening. Try it. Okay. If you actually look at it, though, it, what you see are, are ground up bugs. Mm-hmm. And there's something in everyone's brain when you're looking at food with like half of a bug leg on it. Mm-hmm. There's something in your brain that that is screaming at you not to eat it. 
and as you're eating it. Mm-hmm. If you can get beyond all of that, it, it is is really super tasty. Um, it was okay. delicious. The other interesting thing is this. So I moved on to entrees and I had the Oaxacan mole chicken. And uh, at this point, I need to mention that my dining companions, coincidentally, were cast members from Oaxaca. Ooh. Right? So, <laughs> so I ordered everything and shoved it in front of them and said, tell me what your grandmother would think about this, right? What would, mm-hmm. what would your abuelita say about this? And uh, so I had the, the mole chicken. Mole, of course, is a, a traditional Mexican sauce. In, mm-hmm. um, in Oaxaca, it's, a, I believe, a red sauce, with red mole, um, which is more sweet than spicy. But my, my dining companions tasted it and said, uh, and, and this is a quote, that it was an authentic set of flavors. You cannot get higher praise, I guess, from Oaxaca natives than to say your mole is authentic. I have nothing else to add on that particular review. <laughs> if, they, if, they, if they said it was authentic, I, I believe them. It was great. I mean, it's also a ton of food. There's, a, there's rice. There's basically two entire chicken breasts and then a bunch of tortillas. You can make your own tacos out of it. I didn't even come close to finishing it, and I was, I was super full. I did leave room for dessert, though, Jim. The thing you have to order here. And I know you're a diabetic, so I'm gonna I'm gonna describe this in exquisite detail for you, Jim. Uh, mm-hmm. The buñuelitos, which are crispy flour tortillas with a caramel mousse, red wine drizzle, and raw sugar and cinnamon, plus dark chocolate, cranberries, and roasted almonds. So raw sugar, wow. cinnamon, <laughs> chocolate, cranberries, red wine, uh, flour tortillas, and caramel mousse. <laughs> Oi, my teeth are loosening in my head. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> Jim! Once around the spice rack, folks. Just keep I, going. I had that, and I think it was—I think I was drinking a soda too for lunch. I ate half of that, and I could actually feel the air molecules vibrating around me. I was about to say you—you you could have run home from the to it was New York. Magical! I loved all of it. All okay. of it was delicious. It was fantastic. So I really, really enjoyed the new Oaxaca menu at uh, Frontier Cucina. Uh, mm-hmm. The next night, I went over to Blue Zoo and did basically the same thing, ordering like three things from the appetizers, the entrees, and the desserts. I will not go into a lot of detail on this other mm-hmm. than to say everything was delicious. I didn't know that the uh, – the uh, I want to highlight the desserts here. The Apparently, the chef at Blue Zoo is like a two-time world champion pastry chef. Really? Yeah, and he's he's also uh, the one of the judges for Team USA in the mm-hmm. 2019 World Pastry Championships. Also, they started training for it in 2017, which I believe is longer than the Olympics. <laughs> like they picked the team in 2017 for the 2019 World Championships, but don't they don't they pick the Olympic team like like three weeks before the Olympics? Have you ever seen somebody try to shot put a cream puff? I mean, it, okay. it, you have right, to put maybe. in that extra time. But it was delicious. Service was great mm-hmm. at Blue Zoo. Um, and the reason why I went there was this. It's rated above average by trainplants.com and unofficial guide readers. But it's not one of those things that you would put at the top of your list. It's like mm-hmm. on the tip of everyone's tongue. But it is really, really good food. So if you can't get into other places, it's a great option. I really liked it. Okay. The third place I went, Jim, uh, and this was, was surprising to me, I went to uh, Be Our Guest. So you know they, um, Be Our Guest uh, changed over in July Mm-hmm. to a new fixed price dinner menu. Are you familiar with this? Mm-hmm. So the, uh, the new dinner menu uh, works like this. You get a choice of uh, one of six appetizers. So mm-hmm. uh, escargot, uh, a lobster bisque soup, a salad, uh, French onion soup, charred octopus, or a uh, meat and cheese plate. So you pick one of those. You pick one entree, so roasted pork, lamb chops, seafood bouillabaisse. Isn't seafood bouillabaisse redundant? Aren't all bouillabaisse mm-hmm. seafood? Anyway, tortellini, uh, filet mignon, or chicken. And then everyone gets the same dessert. And it's uh, 
$60 per person plus tax and gratuity. So I went and tried it with a, with a friend. I had the charred octopus. She had the French onion soup. The French onion soup apparently was good. The charred octopus itself, I thought for me, was not great. So the uh, it comes with fingerling potatoes, hearts of palm, and red pepper. Here are the two things that I, I thought were curious about it. Number one, uh, it has some sort of like citrus glaze over it. And that part was served cold. So the potatoes are cold, the hearts of palm are cold, and the red pepper is cold. The thing that went over it was so acidic. So the citrus mm-hmm. glaze that went over it was so acidic that it was it was almost like straight vinegar without oil on it. And I stopped eating it after a few bites. Okay. And and that was cold. The charred octopus was warm. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't tell but it, it was it was lukewarm. And what I couldn't tell was had the charred octopus been hot and got cold, or was it supposed to be cold as well and then just got warm? Like it was it was at that exact temperature where I couldn't tell how it <laughs> I was supposed to be. them for making this an option. Yeah. But at the same time, this sounds inedible. The octopus was great. It was a relatively small portion. I think it was like three bites okay. for the appetizer. It was everything below it that was I mean, I didn't finish it. Um, mm-hmm. And the portions aren't, aren't, aren't huge. So to not finish a small appetizer, yeah, I'm not going to say inedible. It just wasn't pleasant. Okay. Then uh, for entrees, my companion had the lamb chops with baby zucchini, charred tomatoes, and mushrooms. It was delicious. Mm-hmm. I had the filet with mashed potatoes, seasonal vegetables, and a marmalade of some kind. It, it was definitely a recognizable filet. It was not large. The portion sizes weren't large on either of them for the entrees. I'm not going to say I wanted a hamburger when I was done eating, but I wanted a hamburger when I was done eating. Mm-hmm. So I would I would definitely not get the filet. I would definitely get the lamb chops, which I think Disney does lamb pretty well. But that mm-hmm. was definitely the better of the two entrees. Dessert, everyone got the same thing. It was an almond macaron, mm-hmm. a, a dark chocolate truffle, and a, um, a white chocolate chip cup, like a small teacup. I mean, a tiny teacup filled with mm-hmm. the gray stuff. It was fine for what it was. I would have liked a different selection. And we were done in 45 minutes, by the way. So Okay, that brought me to my question. Because as I understand it, one of the reasons that they did this was to speed up the ordering. And- oh, clearly. Oh, that's yeah. number one. Well, Jim, let's put it this way. They're not doing it for the food quality. right? They're not mm-hmm. doing it to improve food quality. No, they're doing it to get you in and out. I think we we're completely done in an hour. Like from showing up, being seated, to signing the receipt and leaving. I think it was definitely inside of an hour. Wow. When you and I were initially talking about this place, we anticipated a 75-minute table turn, and it was because of the alcohol, the wine portion. It was oh, yeah, definitely. Right. So 90. Disney added the alcohol option to the 2018 dining plan, so it became effective in January. They mm-hmm. just added this fixed-price meal in on July 27th. Okay. And I, I think I'm 100% convinced that they switched to the fixed price menu for two reasons. Um, number one, to ensure that they can get people in and out on time. But number two, off the record, we were hearing from Disney that um, there were people who were making dinner reservations, going in and ordering a salad, uh, two desserts, and hanging around for an hour. Mm-hmm. So the fixed price dinner makes everyone get the the same cost, mm-hmm. and it ensures that uh, they get they're getting the maximum amount of money per head. That they can. So you're not going to go in, order a couple of desserts, hang out for an hour and leave. But but okay. here's the interesting thing. I went So I didn't have a great experience. And I went back and I looked at the reader ratings for Be Our Guest since it opened in 2012 to today. And I was looking at a 90-day trailing average. So if I'm looking at today's average, it includes not only today, but like the last 90 days. We've got more than 14,000 surveys for Be Our Guest 
over its lifetime in any given 90-day period. Recently, we've got anywhere from 700 to maybe 1,300 um, okay. surveys. I will say this, Jim. They introduced the fixed price menu July 27th. Reader ratings peaked about a week later, August 6th. Mm-hmm. But as we record this today in mid-December, your guest ratings are at a five-year low. I am not surprised. It's uh, right. At, it's below 85% right now, uh, approaching 84%. To put that in perspective, uh, the average for all Walt Disney World restaurants is almost 90%. And our confidence interval around Be Our Guest is plus or minus 1%. So they're at least uh, five standard deviations away from average there, which is a significant amount. They're not even close to average is what I'm, what I'm trying to say here. And so I went back and looked at, at uh, other things that are rated highly. In the Magic Kingdom, so uh, Magic Kingdom uh, in Magic Kingdom, Liberty Tree Tavern is rated higher for both lunch and dinner. You know that they recently reopened uh, last year after a, a big uh, restaurant redo or a big uh, kitchen redo. Crystal Palace is higher rated as well. Even uh, in the same neighborhood is Skipper Canteen, which we've we've documented its tribulations for yeah. for a year. Skipper Canteen is a better choice for meals right now, according to our readers, than be our guest. If you're looking at lunch and counter service, Columbia Harbor House is a better choice. If you're looking at breakfast, Main Street Bakery is a better choice. Even the Liberty Square Market food, and I've evangelized about their hot dogs, which I think are the best in the Magic Kingdom, even that's higher rated than Be Our Guest right now. Where do they go from here, Jim? Right? So they've, they've rolled out this, this fixed price menu. Clearly, they're, they're making the right money per head that they want to, but they've got to be concerned about the satisfaction ready to try because they can't continue to drop. It's always this balancing act between delivering a quality show experience or a quality dining experience and, and operational challenges. And, and clearly this was a, a decision made from an operational financial point of view. If that trend continues, if, if that goes blind, how do you back up the truck here? Yeah. To put that in perspective with tax and gratuity, I paid just under $75 per person for dinner, be our guest. I went to dinner the next night at Yachtsman, mm-hmm. and there were six of us on a per person basis. It came out to be around $70 mm-hmm. per person. Yachtsman is a much better, <laughs> a much better dining experience than be our guest. I don't care how you look at it. If you look at the just the setting and atmosphere, if you look at the food quality, if you look at the service, Yachtsman is head and shoulders above be our guest in virtually every category. Why is it cheaper? <laughs> if you think about Cinderella's Royal Table. There are places that you just have to dine at Disney World. Mm. Where is Cinderella's Royal Table these days? Below average as well. It's not near the 89.8% average for all of all Disney World restaurants. I believe uh, it's somewhere in the 87% range. So slightly mm-hmm. higher than, uh, than Be Our Guest, but not nearly as high as Liberty Huge Haven or Crystal Palace. Mm-hmm. And again, I think the cost has something to do with that as well. No, that's true. That's true. People, yeah. you know, people at that price, price point, they have an expectation. And- well, okay. And, uh, and I've got like seven other places that I ate at. We'll uh, save that for the next show. Jim, let's take a, a, a quick break real quick. Mm-hmm. And then we'll, uh, we're going to talk about some tour information that both of us discovered last week. How's that sound? That works. All right. Get out your large pennant that you can put on a pole. And we'll be back in a minute. And we're back. All right, Jim. Mm-hmm. Last week, I sent you a cryptic text and asked you what you could find out about a new tour Disney World is rumored to be working on for 2019. And what we both found out is that we can't talk about it yet. So there are non-disclosure agreements in place. Uh, People asked us not to talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about it right now. But in the course of that research, you found out that Disney has other really big concerns for 2019. 
And, th- and one of that, those things is what happens with World Showcase Lagoon when it isn't available for cruises and tours while the new version of Illuminations is happening? In an earlier show, we were talking about what happens to the the fishing aspect of a Disney World vacation, especially for those folks who have enjoyed four years now mm-hmm. uh, going out onto World Showcase Lagoon on either a pontoon boat or, or in a, a nitro bass fishing boat. Mm-hmm. And it turns out this is an issue that Len and I haven't necessarily talked about on previous shows, but it, it's a hugely popular thing at Walt Disney World. In fact, there are no less than seven different or eight different places you can do this on property that you, if you go down to the Marina at the Contemporary or the Polynesian mm-hmm. or the Grand Flow. For, yeah. I, uh, I, had, the, I had no idea it was this popular until we started getting email after yeah. we, we mentioned this show. But uh, it's, a, and it's a family thing too. Like people go out with their kids and, and apparently it's, the, it's like the kid's favorite experience. Oh, that's it. Exactly. You know, the, the weird thing is you can book a two hour long bass fishing ex- excursion. You can book a four hour long. Now, mind you, the stress here, it's, it's catch and release. But the interesting thing is it's not just confined to Bay Lake. I got contacted by the folks who run the bass fishing operation off of the marina by the Disney Yacht Club. And they were like, yes, what you said is true. That as the new Epcot Forever show begins being presented and on World Showcase Lagoon, mm-hmm. they're going to lower the water levels. They're going to be doing a lot of construction in there, and that section will be off limits to the bass fishing experience. But you're overlooking Crescent Lake, right. the body of water between the Boardwalk Inn, likewise Yacht and Beach Club. It, you yeah, know, it, it's, it's the waterway that goes basically from, uh, from Epcot to the studios, right? There we go. This actually features some of the very best bass fishing on property. And it's like, really, we're still going to have access to all of that. Though I was told, if you want the primo bass fishing experience at, at Walt Disney World, what you have to do is go over to the Caribbean Beach Resort. They, really? There's a 45-acre lake, the Six Villages and the Riviera Tower, the DVC that's under construction right now, surround. And because so few people go over there to fish, it turns out they have the biggest fish and they're the easiest to catch. So if if you're looking to, <laughs> to give your kids a Disney fishing experience that they'll remember the rest of their life, go there. You know, everywhere else you, you've got these Bay Lake or Lake Buena Vista, the waterway just beyond Disney Springs. I want to say it's from the Port Orleans Riverside and Old Key West. They offer Oh, that whole walkway. Yeah, that goes all the way to Disney Springs, right? Yep. Oh, wow. If you're more of a stand on the shore and fish kind of guy, mm-hmm. Port Orleans actually offers you that option. If you go over to Old Man Island, they have mm-hmm. the, the fishing shack there that will be happy to rent you a pole and you can stand there right on the waterfront and fish. So my apologies to all of the sportsmen who bring their families to, to Walt Disney World. This is a big part of their vacation yeah. and they genuinely look forward to it. And on the other side of... The construction of uh, Epcot's new nighttime show. And in fact, what I've basically been told is they anticipate the bass fishing excursions will be able to return to World Showcase Lagoon in mid-2020. Mid-2020. Yeah, they anticipate that the waterway, they'll, they'll start lowering the levels in fall of 2019. And by the spring, they'll have done all of the necessary support work and then they'll be able to raise up the levels and get folks back in there. All right, folks, you you heard it here first, July 2020, mm-hmm. the inaugural Disney Dish World Bass Fishing Championships at Caribbean Beach Resort. 
there we go. We should totally do this, Jim, as a uh, as an event. Mm-hmm. I should totally do it, Jim. One more quick thing before we go. Then you also mentioned um, going back to our earlier discussion about possible paid guaranteed entry into Galaxy's Edge. You also mentioned that there's an Animal Kingdom tour that is testing out a similar idea. Do you want to briefly mention that Animal Kingdom uh, experience? They've launched this Savor the Savannah nighttime safari experience. Mm-hmm. And my problem with that one is that, Len, you and I both know about how they've, they've, they've trained the animals. In fact, with Wild Africa Trek is mm-hmm. that they'll do three tours very quickly in the morning they start right up at 8 a.m. and then do they send new groups out every 45 minutes right up until 10:15, and then there's this 90 minute long pause before they then send the next groups out and then 11:45 to 1:15 they they send folks out the door and that's because mid-morning they've actually taught the animals that they have to head back to the barns quickly for sort of a head count health check and then they're sent back out to the savannah the Rhino Tour actually takes advantage of this. The, the Rhino Tour only happens once a day at 11 o'clock, and that's because if you go backstage to do this $40 hour-long tour, in that window of time is when the white rhinos have been taught to come back to the barn. <laughs> it's like they're unionized. Uh, we got a break. <laughs> These animals have been taught for years now that when the sun goes down, that's when they go back to the barn. And... The sun goes down. The sunset today at four ten. Yeah, <laughs> it's quitting time. Picture, picture these poor people who purchased the Savor the Savannah Evening Safari Experience. It's one hundred and sixty nine dollars. The first one gets underway at four o'clock in the afternoon. All right. Yeah. So, so they're basically seeing the uh, the commute home of all the animals. That's it exactly. Here's the backside of Rhino. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, Jim. They should call it the backside of Watusi. <laughs> I'm getting t-shirts made. I'm getting t-shirts made. The, I guess the real irony here is that, you know, you have all of these animal-based tours, because, of course, it's Animal Kingdom, but then you have the Magic of Nature at Night tour, mm-hmm. which it's a four-hour-long experience. It begins at 2.15 in the afternoon. It's a $249 per person price point. Wow. But the whole, the whole notion of this is, is that they absolutely guarantee that in that amount of time, they're going to get you on all five of the theme, you know, of Animal Kingdom's signature rides. So Expedition Everest, Kilimanjaro Safari, Avatar Flight of Passage, Navi River Adventure, and Dinosaur. There'll be a break for a, a specialty treat, uh, you know, or a signature snack with a specialty beverage. And then the, the evening ends with your reserved seating for Rivers of Light. And I, I may be in this very small subgroup of Disney fans, but... I'd pay $300 if I could get out of seeing Rivers of Light again. You know, just, <laughs> Look, how much it's like, here's an extra 50. You lost me after the dinosaur. Okay, I, I don't know where it went. <laughs> Probably not an option in this survey. There we go. There we Speaking go. of surveys, uh, we'll have to pick this up on the next show. Next show. Mm-hmm. I went to Epcot Thursday night to watch uh, the Reflections of Earth holiday tag, and I got a very interesting survey. Uh, from Epcot the next day about it. Uh, We'll talk about it on the next show. How's that? Very cool. I can't wait. All right, folks, that's going to do it for our show today. Don't forget, we're produced fabulously by the buoyant Aaron Adams. Please go into iTunes and Stitcher and Raider Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. Mein Schwebschiff is full mit Wengers. We'll see you on the next show. Do you know what that means? Uh, The the hovercraft is full of Yes, exactly. Thank you.